Hey, 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 welcome to the Raindrop Corner podcast, an affirming space that centers the cool, the creative, and the courageous people in our community. This is your alchemical playground filled with nuanced conversations, unique perspectives, and magic makers who live to rebel. And rebel we shall. And I'm your host, Kay Huggins. This week's episode features Chef Naisha Arrington, who's just such a paragon of her craft. Outside of cooking in numerous Michelin star kitchens, she's owned several of her own restaurants. She's competed in numerous world-renowned chef competitions. She's also been featured on Top Chef and Next Level Chef. And we have really cool, nuanced conversations around not just her journey within the culinary world, but also outside of it, her quest to become a better person, her desire to spotlight and open doors for herself and for others, specifically black women in the culinary industry. And we got to talk about boundaries, not just setting them with other people, but also learning how to set them for yourself and learning how to acknowledge what your boundaries even are. And without further ado, here's an ode to our guest. The sizzle made my brow raise, fall, and contort. Eyes fixated on the malleable and ever-changing surface of sustenance. Dizzying, electrifying colors mixing into a shade of darker foliage. The smell tickled my nostrils, evoking memory and studious control. Balance. It was in light, rich, and haughty textures that a chasm opened. Gravity tasting of citrus and herbs, and the fall was so sweet, a slap of cinnamon and sugar whirring me upright. Submission. The surrender gave way to lush forests with foraged treasures envisioning their fate before me. In the palm of my hand, Funguses and fruits thrown into steam, reductions of gastric symphonies echoing a kind of song. Harmony. The buoyancy of confidence radiating from a woman with good teachers, steady hands and rich voices, smiles that could be stern and warm in a single glance, distilled down into, into endless layers of fire exploration. Cradled in the nest of edible canvases was me, the artist, clad in mental keepsakes, trinkets from those that embraced me with a well-met challenge. Black, brown, and white, all of us just glistening. Camaraderie. Tangling so fiercely, running a race with intrusive thoughts and lived peers and lived experiences with hands outstretched for the willing. Those who would battle sensory eclectics on a plate. Mentor. All is the hunger here, all. My, my sated vessel full of, I am more than just what I cook. I am hunger working toward fullness, twirling in an endless veil of wondrous ecstasy, wondrous ecstasy. I am, I am finally committed to freedom. Today I have Chef Naisha Arrington with me. I'm so excited to have you. I've watched you cook from afar for quite some time. You 
have a very colorful career in terms of things you've done, been very dynamic from working in a variety of Michelin rated restaurants to owning your own and also being featured on Top Chef and also on Next Level Chef. So tell me about you. What are some things that you're excited about nowadays? I'm honored to be here on the Raindrop podcast and pleasure to chat with you, Kay. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, yes. So, you know, as you mentioned, those amazing sort of bullet points of life, I think as anyone, um, you know, sort of travels through life, you kind of, um, you kind of start to like download life data, if you will, as you're living it in tandem. And so what I'll say, what I'm really excited about this year is I'm turning 40. So it's a big year for me. Okay. Uh, I think, yeah. And so, um, you know, I think for me, you know, life, I've really uh, experienced it through the lens of a chef. And um, I would say these past couple years, you know, just before the pandemic and lockdown, like 2019, started to, um, you know, prioritize a lot more my health and wellness so um you know i'm really looking forward to continuing down that path i think you know in the in the cooking world in the chef industry you know for so long it was kind of like you know work hard play hard for in in my case for example and um and just grinding at both ends burning at both ends of the stick and i think you know that was also something in my 20s and 30s that i was like you know, just working really, 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 really hard. And I think uh, now heading into my 40s, it's like, I think it's like the, it, my plan is really just about working smart, mm-hmm. you know, and strategizing and executing um, efficiently. And also, I think, aside from business, you know, life's not always just about craft. It's about nurturing relationships, you know, and I think early on, you know, when I started out in my career, I wasn't always around for holidays and birthdays and family gatherings, you know, and so I've really been trying to find time to slow down and prioritize hanging out with family because it's important, you know. It's wildly important. I find it interesting, too, and a lot of just the variety of people that I've spoken to, connection and specifically, like, nourishing those connections that you already have or forming new ones has been a very common theme that I've found and I feel like and it's not to say that the pandemic was solely responsible for it but I think the pandemic whether it's health and wellness or building or maintaining relationships put a lot of things in perspective for a lot of people and that makes me so happy because there's this pressure to always be productive and there's not as much of a focus on spending time with people it's what are you doing for someone what are you doing for the world what are you what are your successes and it's it's nice to see that um I do want to ask you because watching you cook is is definitely an experience there's just so much concentrated verve that goes into what you do and it feels like you're pouring every sense that you personally have into the dishes that you create what was your early approach to cooking and how has that shifted over the years fantastic question very spot on when i'm cooking especially when it's televised you know people have are have a front row seat to my thought process creativity um front and center and um 
yes, it is a very much a focused balancing act of like executing the thoughts in your brain, you know, executing technique, um, obviously deliciousness and, um, and it's a really beautiful process. Um, yeah, so I would say it's not too dissimilar from my approach early on. I think, um, just sort of how I'm built as a human being, I think anything that I really, uh, you know, want to excel at, I, I, I want to put in the work to understand what the root system is behind it, right? So, mm-hmm. like, I'm going to educate myself on it backwards, forwards, sideways, all around before I um, attempt it, you know? So, I think, for me, early on, you know, it was, like, all of the arts. Like, I was always, like, painting, or in, and my parents put me, like, in pottery classes and, like, piano classes and, like, um you know martial arts and like uh all types of things sports you know played softball soccer and i think really all of these little like life experiences as a kid um started to hone me to be able to um you know ultimately withstand the pressure you know because cooking yes it's an art it's a science beautiful ballet but it's also um a lot of pressure so i think being able to have those like team sports tools and being able to exercise my artist brain in other ways other than using food as the medium really um, set a great foundation for me to be able to control the thoughts because I think it's really just about it's almost like Jedi you know it's like you're thinking about things before you before you execute right and it's um it's a skill and you have to put those reps in so I would say you know my approach from being a kid to now being an adult, it's, it's, it hasn't really changed much, you know? Um, I've just tried to get better. I love that. Especially when you think about, like, the idea of competitively competing in something. You, you learn first what rejection feels like. You're eventually going to lose a game. It just, it happens to everyone. You're going to learn what it's like to feel stress in pressure. But if it's something that you're passionate about, that helps drive you, right? So I I really love that. And I did want to ask you, because you mentioned this before, you mentioned that you embrace, on that note, feeling uncomfortable and failing upward as a way to grow. So just because you've gone through all of these different things, tell me about some recent untruths that you've learned about yourself. I I think the category that that is that people say is um, like self help, but like I'm really big on podcasts. I love to listen to podcasts. I love to listen to audiobooks. I love to um, almost be like vulnerable, you know. And as you mentioned in the beginning, you know, people always want to say like, "What's your next big thing?" or like, "What." Um, you know, like, what are you, what are you up to nowadays? And like, what are, what are your successes? But I mean, I think if you ask anyone, you know, in any vertical of excellence, sports, musicians, you know, artists, chefs, it, a lot of the, um, the grit and the, um, the secret sauce, if you will, is in the areas of opportunity for growth, right? It took time to get to that platform of, winning that championship, right? And whatever that championship and how that looks for that person. It might be a game, it might be a restaurant, it might be a recipe, right? Um, and so I think how I was raised, like my parents, right, they taught me to be 
humble, you know, and I think martial arts was the um, first sort of exercise in that. And I think in that being humble, it's not about the ego, right? And feeding the ego constantly. It's about, it's about the human experience, right? Because you have to live your life through your, your soul, right? Like, ultimately, we're just like this bag of skin and bones and it's anatomy and it's science, but the antithesis of who we are is our spirit, you know? And so being able to talk, have these types of conversations as a kid, you know, I think it really uh, has only blossomed uh, in, in who I am in this universe, right? So that's just really sort of the lens that I look through. And, um, and I'll be honest, you know, it's, it's, a it's not the like easiest place to be because like you have a certain frame of mindset and it might not be the popular mindset, right? Because it's like, it's, um, it's a few more layers deeper, you know, when I think about how I approach things, I'm not only, only always thinking about myself I'm thinking about a lot of the off-white matter, the gray matter, the charcoal colored matter and the black. Now it's not just black and white for me, you know, I'm experiencing it through the senses, through so many different things, this myriad of, of, of an experience. So it's an interesting thing to try to like put into words and articulate, you know, how my thought processes work. Um, but yeah, I would say, um, you know, living in that vulnerability is really where that champion mindset comes from because I, I'm not afraid to put myself out there. I'm not afraid to lose that game, you know, because ultimately it's a life experience, right? Like there were like many people before me and there will be many people after me and I'm a blip, right, in this life existence. And, um, you know, like why not just try to be courageous in whatever you want to try to accomplish you know speaking to like you seeing things in varied shades i see that from you like it's we of course you know don't live your life so we don't get to glimpse all of that but it's it's very easy to see that you value individuals you value moments you value pointing out things that aren't necessarily about the food and you're so much more than a chef like everybody is so much more than what they do and I just I think that's so important and I get what you're saying too because from what I've found from personal experience as you kind of nourish and give more to the self and look at different perspectives it's easier for you to do that thing that seems hard or daunting because whether you win or lose it's not a it's about the experience like you said 100 percent, you know and I think especially important to have these types of conversations for you know, the younger generation, and it's not, you know, and I value that uh, more now than ever, and that's why I brought up uh, this sort of milestone of age in my life, because I'm also learning that, you know, I'm, I'm like, in this tandem set of responsibilities, you know, because it's a, a bridge to the past, and it's also a gateway to the future, and all we have is our stories, knowledge, you know, and it's like, in the age of digital media you know the digital age it's like people want to like just you know use google machine and it's like yeah of course it's a valued asset of course don't get me wrong but uh, there's so many other microcosms in that you know of, mm -hmm. of the nitty gritty stuff that you can tell real first-hand life experiences that really help mold the human you know
I agree with that so much. Also, like, there is a such thing as bad Googling. <laughs> and that's what I've been telling people as of late. Because really you're, <laughs> you're looking up something that has someone else's bias in it. So it is important <laughs> to frame your own experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, to piggyback off that story, it's like, um, you know, I was on the set and there was a, a fruit called a, a tamarillo mm-hmm. and no one knew what it was. And it's a very tannic fruit. And I did this amazing dessert with it in New Zealand. I went out with a forager, this Maori tribe member, and we went and we harvested this, this um, tamarillo and... I was on the set of the show, and this person's like, oh, Tamarillos aren't in New Zealand, and I'm like, he's like, I just Googled it, and it, and it was such an, I didn't even, I didn't argue, because I had shared that life experience, it's like, oh, well, you know, mm-hmm. it does, and so, it's just like, it's just interesting, you know, you have to really, uh, want, you have to want the knowledge, you know, the individuals have to want the knowledge, and, and, and I think listening is a very um, undervalued um part of life you know we have to listen and so it's just interesting you know because to your point google's not always right Mm -hmm. so it's just a funny story that is a funny story and i i want to ask you too because we're talking about like experiences and kind of navigating life and appreciating that journey so obviously through your life like you've probably had instances where there has been some resistance or it's been harder so I'm not necessarily just wondering how you find balance, but I'm wondering about your boundaries. What boundaries do you set with others so that your passions stay fun and enriching? And what boundaries do you set with yourself? Good question. Um, As an empath, you know, it's been a journey of learning how to set boundaries because I, I tend to want to, um, make everyone around me feel comfortable before I do. And um, what I've learned about myself is that I thrive in one-on-one conversations, right? Or, or smaller groups, larger groups where, you know, lots of energy, like I, I feel the energy, you know? And so um, I try to, um, you know, pick and choose who I and what types of conversations I have with people. That's been a very valued skill set that I'm still building muscle in. Um, And so I would say that people get different versions of Naisha, you know, like based off of the um, topics at hand. So, you know, if I can go in with someone and have an in-depth conversation and peel back some layers, I love that. Like, for me, that's really mm-hmm. what I value because I, I enjoy connecting with people, right? Because I, I might not ever see that person again, you know? Or, you know, it's life is precious. We're not always guaranteed tomorrow. So um, I would say those are the conversations that feed my soul. Um, I'm not really big on, like, surface conversations or, like, you know, gossip and like, you know, things that like, uh, are not valuable to me. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not saying that's not valuable to others, but it's definitely not something that I enjoy. And so I would say, you know, to answer your question, like, I think it's important to, to first have, to first make sure yourself is like comfortable and that you have, uh, 
you know, like a full cup to pour from. I think that's really um, incredibly important, especially for people who are creatives, you know, because we are literally drawing from our spirit and our soul when we create, right? Because the idea of art is you're creating something tangible from nothing, right? Just from a thought. And that in itself is super powerful. So to constantly be putting those reps in, you know, it's taken from somewhere. So you have to make sure that you're putting it back in. And I think that's where the beautiful conversations can can do that, you know? Um, and so I think that's really where, like, the boundaries sort of come in and, and learning that, you know, it's taken me some time to get to this point to say, like, this is for me, this is definitely not for me, you know, in, and it's hard, you know, being in kitchens and coming up and, you know, in the, in the kitchens, they're very fast paced, like intense, high pressure. And, uh, and, you know, you have to really be able to um, have a good bandwidth and a good skill set and a good wherewithal about yourself before you can sort of kind of go into battle, if you will, you know. So I would say along with learning what is for me and what is not for me, um, you know, things like fitness has really been crucial to me. Um, you know, eating balance. I'm not going to say eating um, <laughs> always like, you know, whatever, salads. No, I eat. I eat. <laughs> like, I think it's like, a balance, you know, and that really, and just learning, you know, know knowing that if I eat late, like, I'm not going to sleep well, and, like, how is that going to affect me tomorrow, and or the next day, you know, am I going to, like, get something on the calendar, so it's, like, just, I think, boundaries with others, but also boundaries with myself, and being able to understand how food affects my body as fuel, how my decision-making process is going to affect me today, tomorrow, the next day, and really sticking to things, you know, and that in itself has been a journey, so, um, yeah, I, I feel like I'm in a really great spot now to, like, understand, again, what my actual boundaries are. Because unless you, you know, put in those reps and exercise that, you don't even know, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of people. You know, how do you know what, what you like and what you don't like unless, you know, you get into those instances where you, like, understand. And it may take a few times. You're like, okay, you know, that burned me. Okay, that burned me again. Oh, okay, the fire's still hot. And you're like, okay. <laughs> definitely not for me <laughs> you know so it's yeah. so hard to figure out like it's it's interesting too boundaries is a conversation like from a societal point of view that feels yeah. really new like it's something that people yeah. have been talking about for a long time but I can't consciously say that I heard people talking about boundaries like 10 years ago maybe like within like yeah. the last five or six years and we live in a society where they're like this is the way we do things this is how you should do things so when you do have boundaries you're seen as not being a team player or you know being too sensitive or a lot of these stigmas that come along with it and it's it's really nice to see people kind of embracing boundaries and also and you, to your point like understanding your boundaries which is a huge deal like i remember watching you cook on top chef for the first time and you just have this sense of presence and i get giddy whenever i see a woman chef specifically a black woman chef because you just there are more but you don't see that very often and it was just refreshing to see so in regards to your personal journey from what you've said on other platforms you were deeply inspired 
by way of cooking with your grandmother. And you align deeply with striving for your best effort, which you've expressed numerous times since we've started talking. So what have been some elements of your food journey that you've struggled with and how did you navigate those struggles? Oh, wonderful question. You know, to be honest, Kay, I think I'm still in it, you know, and, and, and I, and I say that and I don't, I'm not fearful of that because, you know, I've started to open up and have conversations with other people in the industry. And what I've realized is I'm not the only one having these internal dialogues with myself, because to your point earlier, you know, society, it's hard, man. Who am I? What is society telling me I should be, you know? And like, I'm, 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 always aware of that you know and it's like no there's not a lot of black women out here at the top you know what i mean and it's mm-hmm. like you know you see the you know maybe in in lower paying um areas or fat you know lot in fast food and but not in like fine dining not in like restaurants you know so i'm i'm starting to see more of us out here championing these voices you know and every time i see another black woman and it's not to say i'm not happy for other races or other genders of course i'm i'm happy that i just want to see everyone win but specifically um you know i never growing up i never cooked next to a black woman you know like i never saw representation in any of the kitchens that i was in and that made me want to strive even harder to get into open these doors you know even if i'm the only one even if i'm first and even though it's scary like i i i just have to do it you know and so there's that side of it and then it's like there's there's also this side where it's like i i have an internal struggle with like am i representing my culture's food enough you know because it's like society will tell me that i need to you know, cook a certain way, right? But what I can only do as Naisha Arrington is draw from my North Star, right? My life experience, right? I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, right? We moved to the Antelope Valley when I was seven years old. Like, you know, I lived in Santa, I moved to Santa Monica, I went to culinary school in the year 2000. I've been here, it's 2022 now. I've been here in the west side of Los Angeles for 22 years, you know. My parents were born in and raised in Inglewood, you know. So it's like, and that, right, is by way of Mississippi. Like, my dad's parents came from Mississippi. And then generations before that, Nigeria, you know. So I haven't had those firsthand experiences of Nigerian cuisine, you know, southern cuisine. Um, all I had is like what my parents and my grandma, you know, being from Korea, what they showed me, you know, but for me, I'm like, you know, and I think that the reality is, is that there are very, there's very layers in the conversation and dialogue in food, right? And so, you know, when I went to culinary school, I was taught French fine dining, white tablecloth dining is the point of excellence right so you give me a task i'm gonna say bet like i'm gonna crush it like let's go you know so i'm like i want to be the first everything in this field and so i strive to that and and in 2019 i went um and i was chosen to be one of 16 chefs 
to represent Team USA in a competition called the Boku Store, which is like the most elite cooking competition in the world. So mm -hmm. doing that, and it, it nearly broke me, Kay. It was like, it's very, very difficult. You know, like it's very, uh, very, very challenging. Mm -hmm. But it also was fun and rewarding. And it spoke to my analytical brain in cooking, right? Like I, I turned my apartment into a full functioning <laughs> kitchen. You know, it was like really all in. But I think my point being is that like I, I want that that part of my cooking down, you know, when I sauce those plates in front of the greatest chefs in the world in that type of cooking, you know, Daniel Balud and um, Thomas Keller and just like pouring that sauce on the plate and seeing how pristine and beautiful it was, which was like, you know, it took three months to get to that point. And, you know, the chefs, even though I took third place, you know, one of the chefs pulled me out, out of the line and he said, Chef, your food was the tastiest. And it's like, that was cool. You know, and I felt like, of course, you want to win, but it's like, uh, honestly, in that moment, it was a bit of closure for me because I had worked so hard in the, in the fine dining field. And to be able to walk into those doors, there's never been a black woman to do it, you know? And so, um, it was, I remember getting in the car and just like sitting in the seat and just being like, wow, you know, I did that. And, and I think I'm done doing that, you know, like mm -hmm. now it's like, what's the next chapter page? What's the next page turn? And what's that next chapter look like, you know, and, and I'm in that chapter now. Right. So it's like very exciting. It's very, um, it's like unnerving because it's like, it's, you know, you, you set this set of goals, right? Like when you're 17 and, you know, 20 years passed and you just, you just kind of started to look up, you know, I've been looking at down at this cutting board and honing my skills, trying to learn everything I could, absorbing knowledge, you know, doing the ebb and flows of life. And now it's like, I'm here and I've accomplished a lot of the things I set forth and now I'm like, okay, I need a new goal set, you know, because it's like, now I'm here and it's like, what's next? You know, it's exciting. So I think for me, when I ask myself these questions, the very most important thing for me is making sure that there is more rep representation in the industry, you know, being able to um, open more doors, whisper people's names in rooms when they're not around, you mm -hmm. know, like I've been able and very fortunate to meet a, a, a fleet of young black women who are so talented. I just did um, an event um, with this uh, BET, with BET and um, all my crew was all black women. That's awesome. All of them. Girl, it was like, and they are like dope. Mm -hmm. Women of color, I should say. You know, they were, they were, varying backgrounds but uh all female crew all like bringing it i was so proud and um so you know it's important to me you know to really strive for to see that you know it's a beautiful thing and it's a beautiful thing because the food just becomes more um complex you know i mean there's a lot more other types of food that get talked about these days than you know 10 years ago so um yeah uh, it's an exciting time
It seems like it would be because you have done so much. But honestly, just the fact that you were invited to compete and represent the USA is is such a huge honor. And it just speaks to your journey and what you've been able to accomplish. And it's really cool to see you open those doors for other people and advocate for other women of color, you know, other black women. That's it's a needed thing. But just from what I've seen in any form of creative space or artwork, a lot of times black people, because we are a minority, we make it a competition. And there sometimes isn't, and being competitive is good to some extent. It doesn't have to be a bad thing, but we forget the uplift part. We forget about the community part where there really is room for everyone at the table. And it's it's just nice to see you create that safe and affirming space for people because they remember that and then they're able to do that for other people. 100%. That's the beautiful thing that changed that. that those thoughts, those words that you said have the power to, when people say we need to change society, it's these more micro conversations that happen that are really the ripple effect, you know? Mm-hmm. I've always been that person that's kind of like the surprise and delight person. I do a lot of things behind the scene, but scenes, but most people don't know what I'm doing. And I've transitioned lately from being behind the scenes to being more vocal and being more in front of things. And um, a friend of mine pulled me aside. They were like, but wait, you, you're the one that sits at the table and, you know, says all the right stuff. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, if you get too loud, people aren't going to listen. And I'm like, no, that's the problem. I'm like, you you have to become adaptable. You have to know what works behind the scenes and you have to know what to do out in the open so that people feel that advocacy because there's a kind of erasure that comes from only doing things behind the scenes. And I just, I love how versatile you are in that right. And from an external (laughs) point of view, I've definitely witnessed that. And it's a really cool thing to see. I'm curious, though, because you're in this stage where you've done all of those things. Well, the bulk of those things on your list and you're kind of looking at this new canvas. Is there anything that you've wanted to try that you haven't yet that you'd want to? Honestly, like, I I think, you know, I'll never not be in food, right? Like, I think that's really the gift that like found me you know that's really where all my stars align but I what I what brings me joy also is fitness you know so like I want to continue on this journey and um I mean and I say that because I've seen the firsthand impact it has had on my life you know like I didn't know what to do with my stress. I didn't know what to do with my anxiety. I didn't know how to cope with these things outside of the kitchen, you know? So once I started, um, you know, working out more in like 2019 and eating differently, um, I noticed like my mind shifting a lot, you know, because it's, it's literally, you know, you're more in front of yourself. You know, it's and so I think um, in some capacity, you know, and whatever that looks like, I think that 
you know, not just for me, but also being able to educate young women on that conversation as well. Um, you know, whether that, and that's something I really enjoy dearly is like, um, the educational aspect of what I do, right? The sharing of knowledge, because it's amazing if all these things can work for me, but it's like, how, how am I planting that seed in others, you know, because, um, yes, you know, in the black community, we're known for making food that is kind of stick to your ribs, you know, like this sort of Southern style cuisine is what, um, a lot of times I'm not saying it's, um, right or wrong. I'm just saying, you know, it's like a tandem conversation, like, you know, black food, it tends to be sort of this like soul food, right. Which is not always, um, heart healthy, right. We see a lot of diabetes, a lot of heart disease, high blood pressure in black communities. Mm -hmm. And while that food is freaking delicious and we all love it, right. Um, how do we still continue to educate and make sure that we're thriving, you know, for generations, you know, cause I know both, all my grandparents have passed away from these diseases, you know, and it's like things that are in our control. And I think, uh, you know, from a consumer standpoint, from, you know, a big business standpoint, I think the pharmaceutical industry tends to benefit off of keeping a, a, a part of the population having to go back and buy insulin and, you know, keep going back and, and keeping us sick, you know, and it's like, I think that's really where the fitness component is coming from is what I'm saying, you know. Um, of course, I love food. I love tasty things, but there's some balance. And I think people just don't know, you know, my mom just knows she's type two diabetic. And it's like, you know, when I go home, I try to, um, educate her as much as possible, you know, cause she's, she needs to know that drinking, you know, two liter of Coke a day is not, not going to do the body good. It's going to be able to feed our body in a good way. Right. I know it tastes delicious, but they engineered it to, to do that. It's doing what it's engineered to do. And, um, so I think there's some moments, teachable moments in, in that, in some sort of axis with, um, with my culinary journey lived thus far. I would also say, um, you know, like some sort of nonprofit work. I just really want to like leave this place a better place when I'm not on it anymore, you know, and it's not for all the glory. It's really just to make an impact, you know, because ultimately I am the seed grown from my parents. And I love my mom, I love my dad, but my dad is my superhero, right? He's the one who really made me who I am, and I would love to see the fruits of them and through me live on in some way, you know? And I think the way to do that is to uh, inspire other people, you know? I think a lot of times, like, people, it's hard, man. Like, the um, societal pressure is freaking difficult. And so uh, I just you know, and I want to make sure people know that they're loved, that they can do it, you know, whatever that is. I think that's so important. And I mean, just kind of bouncing back to the fitness or health component, you're right. There are a lot of people that just don't know. Speaking from personal experience, I didn't, I knew like the preliminary things like drink this much water and maybe eat some vegetables at points to kind of balance out your dinner. But it took me catching cancer twice to to even invest in my health and find out that I'm allergic to gluten or find out how to make the dishes that I ate before without gluten or 
you know, my mom, for her to get, she got sick as well and learned how to do the same. And there is, there's something wrong with us having to get sick or see XYZ pass away from something or struggle um, with something just to be motivated to see, hey, maybe I shouldn't do this. And that's not everybody. Some people are very on top of it um, and they, they invest in that throughout their life. And that's a beautiful thing. But like you said, it's, it's kind of set up and structured for us to be very self-serving and to just go get the thing that looks good versus kind of analyzing, hey, is this actually what's best for me? And I think that's so important. And you're right. So in- important. Inspiring people, it, it teaches them about themselves. And I'm sure that you probably also grow in the process through that as well. Absolutely. Oh, it feeds my soul just as much. And it's a conversation not meant to shame or cut anyone down Mm -hmm. it's about a larger conversation in that it is a systemic issue right a lot of times in in the communities of color the kids you know are taking care of the grandparents in the home you know like we don't have the access right and the knowledge in the schools right when we go out what do we see there's Burger King, mcdonald's taco bell like all these fast food places before there's a Whole Foods, before there's like organic vegetables and farmers markets, and we see the representation, you know, in the communities. You know, we see the sugared cereals, we see the Coca-Cola, the processed foods. That's what we see. That's what I grew up seeing. You know, I didn't see fresh vegetables and how how to make them delicious. I saw canned vegetables, and then in my mind as a kid, I'm like associating peas with a freaking ugly pea coming out of a can. Little, little did I know when I walked into fine dining kitchens is that a, a pea can be a, be a beautiful, vibrant song of Mother Nature and spring of what she birthed for mm-hmm. us to fuel our bodies. I, I'm not thinking about any of these things when I'm a kid, right? And like eating that beautiful spring pea and learning how to cook it, nour- nourishing my body, making a beautiful dish out of this to nurture another right? That's just all inspiration. Like, that's how we need to live, you know? And it's like, I get, I understand all, it's not, none of this is a blanket statement. I'm not trying to present myself as an authority on the subject, but I do know from lived experience and what I've seen. And, you know, I think that these conversations can help shift an entire uh, thought process behind our relationships with food, you know? And so when I say the educational piece, the nonprofit piece, the fitness piece, it's really just to inspire people, you know, to grab something before they, or we're grabbing the Takis and the Hot Cheetos, which I'm not hating on, <laughs> grew up eating them, I still do here and there, but I do know the consequences, I do know that it's not a whole food, I do know that it's not going to feed my body in any kind of efficient way, right, that's going to help me excel in school, that's going to help, you know, whatever, so I think, um, you know, sharing the knowledge, because yes, like to your point, there are people out there that are, you know, you know, um, athletes and, and prioritize foods and they're vegan or they're, they are prioritizing these conversations, but most likely someone gave them that knowledge and that's why they're doing it, you know, so the more that we could vocalize these things and it's balance. It's not always 24-7 eating that way, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a balanced, it's a balanced scale, right? I think I would love to, um, stir my career in that direction because to your point it it feeds my soul just as much as hopefully it feeds another absolutely 
I love that. And I, I feel like with just your your attention and your passion to what you do, you will. <laughs> I feel that. Um, I'm curious. So you cooked with your grandma and that inspired you a lot with food. What were some of your favorite creations that you made with your grandmother as far as food is concerned? Past, um, I think, what, maybe that was like seven around there. Um, so, you know, I didn't get a lot of time with her. Um, so, she, yeah, when she passed, when I was like very young, you know, so it's like um, so a few things I remember are not necessarily individual dishes, mm-hmm. but I remember the way she made me feel, you know, and that seed of emotion is really what um, made me want to cook today, I think, you know. Um, I remember sitting around the table. I remember, you know, eating communally, and I loved that, you know. Um, I remember even my aunt, you know, she would always come over and she would make, this is like, I don't know if it's basic or not, but like, there was this dessert that I used to love as a kid, and they would make it for my birthday, um, but it was a layered jello situation, so like you take like uh, condensed milk, and they would put like one layer of this like gelatinized like con- condensed milk, and then a layer of like red, yellow, green, like the whole rainbow, mm-hmm. and make this like layered jello things and it blew my mind as a kid because you cut into it and it's like these multi-layered squares of color and it i would i would always ask for that I was, it was like an incredible thing to me and um so when i'm thinking about like when you ask that question immediately it took me back to being in my grandma's house and then that i thought about that i thought about um this one time when i was cooking broccoli with her um i don't know I used to love broccoli with cheese on it. So like Same. we were like I don't know, it was like so delicious. It is so good. So we were like so good. <laughs> we were like boiling the broccoli. You know, and I remember that, like the heat and the steam hitting my face. Um you know, I used to like make hand churn ice cream with my grandpa on the back porch and just being at grandparents' house, um, it just feels like sunshine vibes in my soul, you know, and like I I love that because um it's just so special, you know, like, it makes you feel human when you can really, like, connect with your ancestors, ancestors your, 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 not your ancestors, but your ancestors in a way through the lineage, right, of life, and I think, <clears throat> you know, that's why I travel so much, because I'm not hating on the U.S., I'm from here, but... <laughs> there's so <laughs> uh, many other places, know, though. There's so many other places, though, and also, there's so many other places, and um ways to experience how people live their life around the world and that has been so beautiful because as i'm sitting here reflecting on going to grandmother's house i'm thinking of homes that i was invited to around the world that are so beautifully humble and so beautifully perfect with with not with nothing you know these people built i went into this home in um, morocco and they built this beautiful homestead like in this mountain range uh, and they it, the kitchen was with clay and they built it like with their own two hands brick and mortar and like and it just burned fire you know and it was like the most incredible experience you know and I'm just picturing the eyes of the grandmothers there so my grandmother you know she lives through me but I mean through the eyes of matriarchs and families all over the world it's like it's the eyes to to our planet you know and so um 
yeah, I think that's really important to celebrate. It is incredibly important to celebrate. It kind of aligns with your motto of food that hugs the soul. Because I was going to ask you about that and essentially what that meant to you. Because to a lot of people, you know, when you when you taste good food or great food or just transcendent food, that's what it does. This young lady, it was something uh, at this dinner party the other night. And it was something simple. She's a black woman grown. She never tasted uh, she never tasted the cheese brie. And so I did this baked brie thing, just like a quick little app while I was like doing some other stuff. And she said that it, she's like, I don't understand. It made me emotional. Like I wanted to cry. And she was like looking at me like, I don't, I don't know why I'm sharing this with you. But I mean, that is the feeling of joy, you know? And it's like you, it went into your little soul and it made you feel tingly inside. And it's like, that is, um, that is, that is so beautiful, you know? And so to be able to, share that experience with someone um is amazing and i think that's really what i'm talking about when i say food that hugs the soul it's not just for just eating it's just to eat you know and it, it could be anything it doesn't have to be like um you know dishes that are like you know mac and cheese or whatever it could be it's i believe that that is food that is cooked with intention right where we're sourcing it what what am i vibing out when I'm making this, right? I think that is um, the ultimate energy transfer when people eat that and they taste that. You know, that's what I say. Like, when I want to hug someone from the soul, like, it's it's the intentionality behind it and every little brush stroke in between that creation, you know? There truly is so much magic in food. Everyone in my family loves to cook. Um, I've As I grew up, I've spent a lot of time around chefs, so... I've had the privilege of of getting to know like some of the nuances from an external point of view. And I was just thinking about how food is introduced in media. And I'm an anime nerd. So I was watching an anime. It's called Food Wars. It's the first anime that I've ever seen where they kind of focus on that. Like somebody, they they very strategically make the food. They actually tell you exactly what they're putting in it. And it feels very much like you're watching an anime food competition. They're at the school and they are essentially vying for spots to be upperclassmen. So it is very competitive in nature. But when the judges take bites of food, they're literally like transported to memories of cooking with family members or the first time they tried this dish. And it made me happy because I'm like, this is such, it's a ridiculous show, but in the best possible way. But we're now creating media where people are understanding that there is just so much depth that goes beyond that. And you don't have to be a foodie. You don't have to know someone or be deeply interested in cooking to see that. You can just turn on the TV and watch that or a myriad of other things that talk about the art of cooking and what that does for other people and why this dish makes you feel that type of way. And I think that's just a beautiful thing. And it kind of echoes what you said. At least that's what it made me think of. Totally. Absolutely. It's all about the emotion behind it. And, you know, it's a, it's a special thing because food is tangible and then it's kind of intangible. It goes away and then it just lives in your spirit, you know? So it's, um, it's these, it's these cool little moments of art that don't live on the wall for you to like look at forever. They, they, they live in your mind, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Definitely so. And I do want to ask you, because you brought this up earlier, you brought up your love for helping other chefs and creatives actualize their potential and inspiring them and giving them space and environments that you occupy so that they can excel. So when coaching chefs or any creative for that matter, specifically black women looking to further their career, what are some suggestions that you'd give? Well, I would say it's always important to, um, and again, this is, I want to preface my statement um, with not appearing to be someone who has all my shit together. Like uh, it's been a um, journey for me, even in my coaching and leadership um, stance, right? Because um, you learn what works and what doesn't work. What I know is I love to inspire people. I know who I am and I want to um, convey that. But, you know, I think um, my leadership style has taken um, a few different turns. You know, I came up in kitchens that were very explosive, you know, um, and I've also led some kitchens that were super chill, you know, and so I, you know, I've seen the entire spectrum of both ends of the, of the sort of myriad of um, different styles of kitchens. So I'll say this, right, from a mentorship leadership standpoint, when I'm assessing a young person and what, you know, even if there's a conversation being had before we walk into the kitchen together, I always ask that person, like, what is your, what is your goal, right? Like that, um, as basic as a question that can be, they need to, they need to know why, why they're doing the things they're doing, right? I don't need to know. I, I cannot take that person's hands and take that person's brains and make them think how I, how I think, right? I need them to, to actualize it for themselves. And so, you know, I ask them their goal set, you know, and then like, how, what, how do they think they're going to get there? Like, what are your steps? Like, what is your actual plan? Right. Because mm-hmm. again, I'm just in tandem with that person, helping, connecting, picking them up when they fall. Right. Like, cause it happens. Mm-hmm. It's important part of growth. Um, so then it's like, you know, when we're in the kitchen, it's like, how is this person? It doesn't matter if you don't know how to cook a carrot. Like, it does not, that does not matter to me, right? The skill set, the, the skill set that that person has. What matters to me is do you know how to organize yourself first, right? Are you setting up your station with a bunch of clutter on it and, you know, with no intentionality, right? Or are you setting up your station and everything is in the place that you need it to be so that you can learn the next thing, mm-hmm. right? Because how do we get to the next step if you cannot set your, your platform up, right? And um, that is the most important thing, right? It's just setting yourself up for success. And I, and I also look for the ability to listen, you know, because I think a lot of people say they want a mentor or they say that, um, you know, they want some leadership help. but this, you know, disengage and, and, and undervalue the ability to listen and retain information, mm-hmm. right? Um, that is, I cannot exercise that statement enough. I think that is the most imperative, uh, one of the most imperative things in taking on a mentor-mentee relationship because 
that person who has lived experience is sharing knowledge coming from somewhere, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's imperative to listen. And of course, people are going to say, you know, this is for me or this isn't for me. It's not about a dictatorship, right? That's not the point I'm trying to get ac- across. The point I'm trying to get across is um, retaining the value of knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think having a clear vision is important, right? So so that you can reverse engineer your plan to get there. Um but yeah, when I'm when I'm in the kitchen, you know, I think it's always important for people to feel comfortable. Like I want nothing more because I think I get the best out of people when they feel comfortable. You mm-hmm. know, like I I always I always I don't know if breaking the ice is the right word, but I always you know ask a couple personal questions. How's your day? How how do you feel? You know, like what are you into? You know, these days, and just I think that kind of helps people kind of put their shoulders down a little bit. You know, and kind of come from a good place and understand that they're speaking you know eye contact is really important you know just making sure that people feel like seen mm-hmm. you know first and foremost i think that's so important right um and they know that i'm not talking at them you know it, it, it's a we thing um so i think all of those little small like sort of acts make people feel like they feel safe you know i think that's that's very important um, and then I think once those sort of like small um, components are established, really, you could go, you know, go far. I think it's incredibly important. And like pretty much what I heard you listing was, do you have smart goals, which are, I believe it's smart, measurable, action oriented, reasonable, and then time centric. I do consultation work. And what you described is probably one of the biggest things that I run into when you're working with people. It's giving merit to the time that someone is spending trying to help you and also being open open to executing the things that you talk about. Because I feel like there are people who are going to listen to it, but like you said, maybe not retain it, and people who are going to listen to it and use that to become better. And I, I think it's great that you provide that space for people, that you reach them and you want to connect with them and make them comfortable because, you know, there's, it seems from what I've heard and from what you've expressed, there can be a lot of high stress that comes from being in those environments and it's good to have that. And Chef Naisha, this has thoroughly been a joy. I have enjoyed speaking with you and getting a deeper glimpse into your world. And thank you for sharing that with me today. My absolute pleasure. It's been an honor, and um, and thank you for providing the platform. Of course, and um, I will make sure that I link your socials as well, so that if anybody wants to kind of keep up with anything that you're going to do in the future, anything that you've done in the past, and just kind of look into the awesomeness that is your work, they'll be able to do that, and everybody else, until next time. A big, big thanks and even more love to all of our listeners out there. You are an integral part of this experience. And as I grow, so does this podcast. This podcast is in the process of an evolution of sorts. You know, I've said this before, but this podcast started out as a way for me to break out of my shell, as a way for me to become comfortable 
with talking to people, specifically creatives, because when I was working at a technology company, we would often work with people who were artists of some sort, and I enjoyed talking to them, but I also found that it was harder for me to be social with people in general, and I started challenging myself to talk to strangers. Some of the people that I've featured on my podcast are definitely my friends, but most of the people that are featured on this podcast started out as a guest, and a lot of those individuals are my friends now, but I got to talk to people who came from different walks of life and had different perspectives, and in some cases, the same perspectives as I did, but I've really grown so much through all of the people I've talked to and all of the experiences that I've had through doing this podcast. And with that being said, in just the state of our world, I want to evolve the podcast into incorporating heavier and more taboo topics because I feel like it's important to have that kind of discourse and those kinds of conversations. So in the future, you're going to see roundtables on this channel. We've done one already centered around Dave Chappelle in his latest Netflix comedy special, but I want to incorporate more roundtables along those lines, but very structured, very organized, and yeah, it'll be heavy, but we'll also laugh and we'll also have moments where, you know, (laughs) we just kind of geek out together because basically I know a bunch of nerds, but I'm really excited for all of the cool things coming with this podcast. We have several sponsorships that I'm so excited to have going into 2023. I know I'm talking like the year is almost up, but it's September, y'all. Can y'all believe that? But I'm going to stop rambling now. As always, the Raindrop Corner podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all standard podcast streaming platforms. Until next time, loves.